You're listening to The Ascent Archive, a podcast of oral histories with rock climbers collected by the University of Utah and produced by the J. Willard Marriott Library. I'm Tali Kasuchi, librarian, rock climber, and oral historian. And I'm Rachel Whitman, and I'm also a librarian. For decades, memory workers, including historians, librarians, and archivists, have conducted oral histories to document life experiences of notable groups of people. These oral history transcripts, and sometimes their accompanying audio and video, are kept in the archives of libraries and museums around the world with varying degrees of access. This podcast, focusing on interviews with rock climbers, is an innovative approach to make oral histories more accessible and easier to listen to on the go or at faster speeds. The Ascent Archive podcast features oral histories that I conducted for the Rock Climbers Oral History Project and others from the American West Center's Ever Al-Kuli Oral History Project. To find out more about these collections, visit the Ascent Archive website, which is included in the show description. You're about to hear an oral history that is unedited. Please excuse possible interruptions, sound quality issues, potentially outdated or offensive terminology, and the occasional curse word. In this episode, you'll hear from Andrea Ramos-Campos. Andrea is a joyful community organizer and leader with Color the Wasatch, Salt Lake Area Queer Climbers, and the Salt Lake Climbers Alliance. Um, She owns her own business, Love and Coven, a trauma-informed yoga practice, and podcasts. Give it a listen as well. Hope you enjoy. Good afternoon. It's October 18th, 2022. I'm Tali Kasuchi, and I'm talking with Andrea Ramos-Campos at the Marriott Library in Salt Lake City about rock climbing, Color the Wasatch, Salt Lake Area Queer Climbers, Slack, and Salt Lake Climbers Alliance. So to get us started, can you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up? Yeah, hello. I'm Andrea Ramos-Campos, and... uh, I was born in Lima, Peru. So growing up, um, I was surrounded by a lot of family and a lot of music. Um, My family wouldn't say this particularly, but I was definitely born to a family of artists. My mom was a dancer most of her life. My dad plays several instruments, and my brother uh, and my dad both draw um, incredibly well and paint. So growing up, I feel like I had a lot of freedom of expression through various different forms, whether it was through dance, through music, um, or through art. And um, maintained like pretty active in Peru, always going out and about with the family. And we came here in 2001 when I was six years old. Uh, We came to South Florida because of the ongoing racism in Peru. I have a black mother and a white father. So it was really rough to um, for them to grow up in a biracial or for them to be in a biracial relationship in Peru. And they came over here to give us more opportunities, which I'm really grateful for. So we ended up in South Florida um, in the Palm Beach area. And that's where I was most of my life up until age 23 when I moved here. Oh, wow. 
What was it like? Um, do you remember living in Peru other than those like music and family? Yeah, honestly, my p- memories of Peru are very faint, um, which is why I kind of kept it broad of like, yeah. there's, I remember music, I remember family, we would have a lot of gatherings, we just love to be surrounded by community, and always playing fun, celebratory music, dancing, we mostly danced to salsa, and Afro-Peruvian music called festejo, which translates literally to celebrate. And that's what the Afro-Peruvian slaves used when they um, were enslaved to get through those hard times. So it's a really special piece of my history. Oh, definitely. What was it like being in South Florida? Yeah, so definitely grew up a little bit of like a beach baby sun worshiper. (laughs) I was always out in the sun in the beach um, for most of my life. And growing up in South Florida was kind of cool now that I realized it because I had so much diversity all around me. And it really is a melting pot of cultures. You have the Caribbean. I had a lot of Dominican, Puerto Rican friends, um, Jamaican friends, Haitian friends. Uh, And then also you have like Central America and South America. There's just like such a huge melting pot of communities. So um, my friends are anywhere from like Nicaraguan, Mexican, Guatemalan, um, which was really interesting for me growing up because as a biracial Latina, it feels like I can fit in anywhere, but also nowhere at the same time. (laughs) So I feel like I... It's been a process of of coming home to myself and finding... um, my labels and identities and not, you know, trying to find what what it wants to be placed on me or what society might might try to say um, that I am. So, yeah, it's been like a process of coming home to self, I call it. <laughs> oh, yeah. How um, do you feel like your family was able to flourish in South Florida compared to what they were experiencing in Peru? Yeah, that's a hard one to say because the cultures here versus Peru are so different. (laughs) And so in Peru, you more so grow up in a multi-generational home with a lot of family and usually... Well, if you're lucky enough, a lot of times, you know, the home was paid for for by like your grandparents and everyone gets to, you know, just live there and contribute um, a little here and there. And then here we are so much more of an independent uh, minded society. So it's definitely much more like hustle, grind and I wouldn't say that my parents exactly flourished at the beginning because, um, to be honest, we were very low income at the beginning. And when we first came here, um, my mom went from, for example, for like from not working at all because my dad, my dad was able to support us on one salary to both having to work a lot. And I feel like that 
and kind of put them, not kind of, definitely put them in fight or flight mode most of the time. And I feel like that's how I grew up was in fight or flight mode and realizing how much um, finances really make it or break it for you here in in this um, society and in this country because any problems that my parents would ever face was also always financial based. So I feel like I'm still working through those blockages of, of, um, yeah, these like limiting beliefs around finances. Mm-hmm. So I feel like thankfully my parents, um, are definitely in a in a better position now and i think that me my brother and i are so much more better off here because we have so much more opportunities to to pursue the things we want um versus versus in peru um but yeah i wouldn't say we were exactly flourishing at the beginning besides that we've always been very wealthy in love and that's something that i am very grateful for um always an abundance of love in my household, even if, um, you know, emotional needs may not have been always met because of that fight or flight mode. There was always um, a lot of love. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, How was it growing up, going from like a really close-knit, like multi-generational setting to then kind of just your your family in terms of um, kind of losing losing that element when you yeah so to be completely honest since I was six I feel like that transition really um didn't feel as hard for me I remember being really excited about coming here and thinking I was gonna be a secretary and I don't know what little kid dreams of being a secretary (laughs) but apparently I did (laughs) and I did become an admin assistant so I was like a secretary um so accomplished that dream (laughs) but I feel that, yeah, that transition wasn't really huge for me because um, because I was so little yeah. and also because in South Florida, we still maintained a really wonderful community of, of friends and family. So here we had my cousin and his wife and then his two little boys. And then we had family friends that I've been in close contact with for um, most of my life now. So thankfully, we still had that sense of community and um, of like continuing being in our culture because they're mostly Peruvian as well. Mm-hmm. So, so it still felt very at home. <laughs> That's neat. Um, was there anything that you were really drawn to as uh, growing up? Were you artistic or? Yeah. So I'd say the thing um, I've mostly been drawn to that I keep coming back to is movement. And it started off as dancing, uh, both salsa and festejo, Afro-Peruvian music. And it has evolved throughout my time. Um, in high school, I did color guard, which was flag spinning. <laughs> <laughs> so I danced that way with props. And then I started getting into um, like the dance music scene and saw people with hula hoops and was just kind of entranced by it so I started dancing with hula hoops as a prop and now I have a staff 
um, which is basically this big long stick and mine is a fire staff so you can light it on both ends and I dance with that and I play with fire and firebend is what I like to call it um, so I feel like body movement has been a huge portion of my life and now um, even though yoga to me isn't um mainly movement based because I like to practice most of the other uh, limbs of the practice. Uh, definitely yoga is a huge part of my life as well um, as as a teacher and student. So. Oh, neat. Yeah. Can you tell me more about dancing with fire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so I it, it, what's cool is that I had friends that did this, so it didn't seem too impossible to me. Um, but I figured that uh, the staff would be the best thing for me because I used to do color guards. So oh. spinning a stick really kind of like just correlated very well. Um, and you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it. There is an element of fire spinning that reminds me of climbing because you have to have a certain um, level of like mindfulness, you know, to not burn yourself and safety. Um, and there's also the puzzle aspect of it, of like weaving it forward and backwards on your body and how the stick is moving in relationship to your body so I feel like that feels really cool to me and um, now that I think about it I just really love the idea of um, puzzle solving and moving the body and figuring out body movement in relation to other things whether on your body the earth etc um, that kind of fascinates me so, yeah, I got started through through watching other friends and just thinking it was cool. And then someone was selling one online, uh, a friend of mine at the time, and I was like, I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> and I grabbed my friend that spins fire as well, and I was like, could you help me? I want to light this thing and play around with it. <laughs> and she was like, let's do it. So, <laughs> yeah. That... It's so neat. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, so then what, um, are there any other impactful experiences from like childhood or youth or like those early years that really stand out? Yeah, I would say some other experiences would be my connection to nature. I've always felt really drawn to it, and I didn't notice um, until recently how much um, growing up in Florida really lended to that. Because even though it's mainly kind of hot and swampy, <laughs> um, I some of my favorite memories are at the park by the beach, by the water, or like riding bikes with my dad um, along the like intercoastal area and going with my family, uh, walking to the beach or um, walking myself to the beach, just going to the beach after work because I worked at a beachside resort, seeing the sunset or sunrise on the beach. Um, and and I took a 
a liking to kayaking. <laughs> I found kayaking while I was there and I bought myself a kayak and would go out on the mangroves on my own and just connect with the water and um and the nature and I didn't really I didn't realize how much of an impact it has because I do it a lot more intentionally now as a mindfulness practice but that's always something that's really helped me ground and connect mm -hmm. definitely um were you aware at the time like that mindful connection you know what not so much I I feel like I'm realizing it uh now and maybe yeah. like recently and but I wasn't really thinking about it at the time being mm -hmm. um and I will say one more kind of cool growing up aspect is that I always drew mountains and hills which is specifically like funny to me because Florida is flat and um Lima is flat so I grew up in like very flat areas but I was always drawing hills and mountains so I feel like it was like my heart calling me to the mountains <laughs> in some way or another. I always felt really drawn to them. Mm -hmm. That was going to be my next question. Like what brought you from the beach life yeah. to Salt Lake City and arid mountain west <laughs> right very very different climates yeah so i took a trip out west in 2015 i was in california and oregon and i fell in love with the mountains there more most specifically on the columbia river gorge side of oregon which if you've ever been there highly recommend still to this day one of the most beautiful places I've ever been and I know it was closed for a few years so it's now open again um due to fires um but you we drove through uh with the windows down and you would just hear waterfall after waterfall after waterfall and coming from a from sea level, <laughs> never having really experienced mountains before in my life and doing like two or three super small accessible hikes and seeing three or four different waterfalls at one time, I was just so mesmerized. And the friend that I was with at the time, I kept saying like, I need to move to the mountains. I want to move to the mountains. And my friend, um, Janelle actually got a job at Huntsman as a nurse. So she came out here first and was like, I know you want to move to the mountains. California and Oregon are so expensive. You should check out Utah. I was like, Utah? What the heck is out there? I'm like, okay, I guess your pictures look pretty. Let's check it out, you know? Um, and I was at a time in Florida where I just felt really stagnant. I was kind of in the cycle of working and partying that didn't seem very healthy for me and thankfully I was able to acknowledge that and have some awareness around it and some uh or a lot of willingness to change it <laughs> so I completely uprooted my life and went from living with my parents my whole life to living across the country a 42-hour drive away <laughs> which is a pretty stark change um and it was not easy in the beginning. I um, did not have my support system and I had to do, a, I got to do a lot of um, internal work, very deep work of realizing how much I was suppressing my emotions with like partying and drinking and, and weed because I had always been a very emotional 
human, I just would suppress things because um, my family didn't have the resources to know how to deal with um, with emotions and with, you know, different um, different feelings just because they were always in fight or flight mode, you know, and not at all blaming it on them. They just, you know, didn't have the resources or means. Um, but I think it was honestly the best thing I did for myself because I was able to gain so much awareness around my emotions and gain practices to learn how to work through them and uh, how to help others work through them. So I'm very passionate about that now. Um, so yeah, that was the transition from Florida <laughs> to Utah. Just kind of, I need a change and packed mm-hmm. up and left. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, um, at what point did you uh, get interested in climbing? Yeah, so funny enough, I climbed for my first time before I moved out here. It was when I first came to visit in 2017. And I had, I had quite an incredible first time experience depending on on you know what you like and and what seems incredible or not for you because it might not be incredible for other people but for me it is <laughs> my friend um that had moved here and her partner at the time took me to the slips up big cottonwood canyon and that was my first time climbing ever was right next to this gorgeous river crag in the shade like i i can't imagine a better setup for for my first time climbing and um yeah they set it up on for me to get on top rope and thankfully I've I've not been someone who um is too fearful of heights uh bouldering actually scares me more because I don't know how to it feels like I don't know how to control my fall at times and that scares me um but yeah, it felt so empowering. I remember getting up to the top and just being in awe that my body could quite literally hoist me up a mountain. So um, that was my first experience rock climbing. I thought it was really cool. And honestly, I wouldn't say I was, you know, just immediately hooked. Um but I definitely found it so interesting and empowering. So when I moved over here, I had three roommates who were all rock climbers. <laughs> and um, at the beginning, I was just using their guest passes as I was, you know, getting settled in and um, gym passes are expensive. <laughs> so I really like worked my way up to it um, because it was not something that was super accessible for me at the time. So just started with friends, guest passes, going outside with them here and there, uh, following on top rope. And then one of my roommates gave me a harness that I've used up until like last year. (laughs) So I had like a used harness. I got some shoes on sale and I was using a literally a chalk out of just its regular like plastic bag I didn't even have a chalk bag yet when I first signed up for the gym and this is the part of the beauty of the climbing community I feel like it seems like they're just so generous and encouraging and a girl there saw me like just grabbing chalk out of my little plastic bag and gifted me a chalk bag (laughs) which I still find to be so sweet to this day and I wish I knew her name Um, but it 
it was so nice to just see a stranger be willing to you know, gift something or do something for you. It was really special. And I feel like I've had a lot of moments like that within climbing where there was someone there to encourage you or uplift you um, in this sport that is also can also feel intimidating and competitive at times. There is definitely a huge element of support and community. That's so neat. Um, for that first experience, going to Big Cottonwood Canyon, to the slips. Mm-hmm. Um, did your like previous experiences with movement, how did the movement of climbing feel to you? Yeah, that's such an interesting and good question to pose because I don't know if I was... Uh, being as mindful or like thinking as much about um my movement at the time and of course like I definitely was because you have to to get up the wall right Mm -hmm. um I feel like like even though I've had so much um experience with movement it's definitely unlike anything I had ever experienced because um, none of my other practices and I wasn't practicing yoga at that time. So none of my other practices really um, really kind of incorporate the puzzle element and problem solving aspect that climbing does. Hmm. Right. Um, And at that time, I wasn't fire spinning either. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I don't have, yeah, I didn't have that um, in in the back of my mind. So it was, yeah, just such a a puzzle piece to me of how to get my body up the mountain. So I think that's um, what what I was thinking is just is just like the problem solving just I remember feeling around a lot you know to kind of like see where I'm placing my hand next placing my weight next um but yeah it wasn't like anything I had ever experienced before honestly I had nothing to really relate it to at the time Hmm. yeah (laughs) interesting I would just assume that everyone who dances naturally (laughs) Yeah, like dances up the wall. Exactly. You basically do. <laughs> yeah. And, and now I definitely can like relate it to, yeah. relate to it more. Um, I don't think if I if I related those at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's that connection develops a little bit later after you figure out a little bit more body position. <laughs> right. And once you have a, a little bit more like technique on the wall, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, to me, dancing and climbing are very, very different. You know, there's just like very um, different movements. But depending on who you are, it could be like you are dancing when you are climbing up a wall. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are very um, like cool intersections to think of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what do you think uh, initially drew you to climbing and then what continues to draw you to climbing yeah what initially drew me to climbing is that so I'm, I haven't always 
and I still am not too much of a gym person. So when I think of exercising my body and building strength, I feel like a lot of the things I primarily um, think of, like weight training, just seem very a, a little boring to me. Like, like just one, two, like repetitive motion kind of thing. And climbing is never repetitive. It's always something new. And it's not something that you can do mindlessly. You know, you don't just like your way up a wall. You have to be really intentional about it and really use um, both uh, your mind, your um like it involves a lot of mental aspects and a lot of of course physical aspects and that's just not something I experience a lot with other sports and and movement type activities um and uh, I think with the way my brain works <laughs> and how it can and I think maybe others can relate to this a lot as well but it is just always going always moving and I feel like climbing is that one thing besides now you know my meditation practices and yoga that can snap me out and it's a one mind, one mind track you know mm. it's me and the wall and my body and the wall so that's what I love about climbing and what keeps me coming back to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're forced to be in the present moment. Yeah, exactly. Oh, neat. Um, what are some memorable maybe climbing trips or experiences in the mountains that have had a big impact on you other than that first first time at the slips? Yeah, other than that first time at the slips, I feel like I've been very lucky to have some really awesome, memorable times um, in the mountains. I think one of the one of the more memorable ones was recently when I went out with some friends, and what I loved about this group is that we were just all in the same headspace and wavelength that day because a lot of times I feel like some of my friends are such hard climbers that they want to get there and they want to be like four hours on the wall giving it their all and then sometimes I'm like I just want to be outside with you and snack you know <laughs> and we were all in that headspace of yeah let's just be outside and snack and frolic around <laughs> and um and climb together and you know and also of course, have uh, have that awesome aspect of problem solving and getting up a route. Um, but it just seems so laid back and so like pressures off, competitions off. Um, we did have a little bit of a scary encounter. So um, what happened and what made me very thankful to be with this group too is um, I went to grab what I thought was a steady hold and it was a boulder that was loose. So it started coming down. And so I had some time. I like grabbed it with my chest. And I was like, rock. So I yelled down to them. So my belayer has time to move down, but the rock comes down onto the rope and causes two fracture points. And thankfully my friends knew how to look out and check for these so that we can get someone else up the other side or um, 
on on top on rope and then um they could leave the rope for me to tie back into so I didn't have to come down on that fractured rope so I kind of like just chilled there on the side of the mountain until my friend finished the route next to me and it was definitely a little scary at the time but I was also just so grateful that I had friends there that were so knowledgeable and that weren't gonna let me come back down on a fractured rope (laughs) so yeah that that experience was so many emotions wrapped into one um and just a lot of gratitude for mm-hmm. for the people um i was with mm-hmm. oh definitely yeah where was this this was at chief wall in the uintas okay oh yeah really beautiful craig yeah mm-hmm. interesting um during that experience um and maybe afterwards um what have you done to educate yourself so if the reverse happened, you could help one of uh, your friends get out of the situation. Yeah. So immediately after I came down, I had my friends show me how what a fractured rope might look like, how to um, how to spot it. Uh, so I know that now, which is a really good knowledge to know. And I learned how to set up so that we can have uh, someone that that can basically like save someone else mm-hmm. if that was to ever happen again. Um, I also have relearned recently how to repel and just safety of almost always trying to have at least two ropes on you mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're where you're going out climbing it's definitely something I learned um and I always wear my helmet and I'm really safety cautious so I feel like those are the the two main or the few main things that mm-hmm. I learned from that experience mm-hmm. oh definitely yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think um yeah I think we sometimes forget the hazards of climbing (laughs) yeah definitely that was for sure a little wake up call there because I had never you know in four plus years of climbing indoors and outdoors nothing like that had ever happened to me Mm -hmm. so it's good to kind of have a little you know wake up call of okay make sure that you're still sticking to all your safety protocols and Mm -hmm. you know I see people out there without helmets and stuff I'm like no this is yes it's it's fun sport and it can be very safe especially out here with uh places like the slca rerouting um and rebolting all the time but you are also out in mother nature and you never know what's going to happen so definitely keep going with your safety measures at all times double triple checking if needed Mm -hmm. oh yeah um who are your mentors from a like maybe climbing perspective and then maybe also community organizing? We'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So my mentors from a climbing perspective, I would say have have evolved a little bit. And thankfully I'm still good friends with all of these people, which makes me happy. <laughs> I'd say at the beginning, it was definitely my roommates. My roommates had been climbing for years when I got introduced to it. So I was really thankful to have their leadership, have them quite literally show me the ropes. <laughs> Bad pun, but yes. <laughs> and um, 
yeah, they're just uh, people that I really looked up to and and had a lot of patience with me when I was <laughs> first learning, which I'm really grateful for. I think that now my mentors would most likely be um, my partner and my climbing buddies from Color of the Wasatch and Slack, who are the people that I climb with the most. I feel like my friends that I climb with the most, I'm always getting a chance to learn from. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um can you tell me a little bit about Color of the Wasatch and kind yeah. of your role and in that organization? Yeah, definitely. So Color of the Wasatch was started um, by Priyam Patel, who's a professor at the U. And Priyam is an incredible individual who just realized that um as we all know, because Salt Lake City is a predominantly white area, that climbing was predominantly white sport and not just only white, but uh, white and male dominated mainly. And so we wanted to, or Priyam at the time, wanted to seek out friends um, that weren't all within that dominant space um, that she could climb with and build community with. So that's where Color of the Wasatch came up. And at the beginning, it was BIPOC at the front, um, but we wanted to extend it to the bigger Wasatch community. So we're now Color of the Wasatch. And it's really cool because my friend Rosie had put together a um, climbing climbing get-together for folks of color and folks of culture I've been leaning more towards, I like, um, but everyone has their own culture. Anyways, um, so she had started that a while back before BIPOC at the Friend, and it was really cool. We had maybe like six, seven people show up, and it was just nice to be like, oh, wow, there's more than just me out there, because usually you get to the gym and you are a lot of times the only brown person. Um, And I still experience that. And that's just something that I've a lot more gotten used to. But also, it's not something that I have to um, have to deal with all the time now that we have this community, right? And um, that's, this isn't meant to be like, a thing to exclude anyone, but it's meant to make space for those that have been historically underrepresented. And if you are a person that is um, brown, black, Asian, or indigenous, or other person of color, you really are not really not seeing yourself in the sport as much, right? And as we've heard a lot, representation really matters. So being able to have people that look like you, uh, that can show you how to do things and that you know you don't have to educate or explain things, some things to because you have shared backgrounds. It just gives you a little extra sense of comfort when you're mm-hmm. out doing a sport that can be intimidating. So yeah, we've really found an incredible sense of community through this group. Um, we uh, do... We do um, also combined 
meetups with the Salt Lake area queer climbers, um, realizing, you know, that queer folks and people of color are both, um, have both been historically underrepresented and just kind of meeting at that intersection so that we can all come together uh, once in a while. And it has, it's just been really refreshing and heartwarming and mm-hmm. kind of like cup filling mm-hmm. <laughs> to to have to have that as well yeah mm-hmm. it's been really great yeah is it um something that you I guess your friend Rosie had kind of started organizing something was that pretty soon after you moved here or was it kind of had been a while? And how was that transition going from a more diverse South Florida yeah. setting with friends to very white Salt Lake City? <laughs> <laughs> or perceived white. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I met my friend Rosie maybe like a year after I moved here and that's about when that happened where she created that group and then she moved away so when Priam started BIPOC at the front or Color of the Wasatch um, that was not an ongoing thing Mm -hmm. right at the at the time and the cool part is that Rosie was able to make it from Wyoming to our first meetup and let me just talk about the first meetup for a moment because I was like, okay, we might get like five, ten people and awesome. Like, I'll feel really good about it. Um, And we show up and there's like 25 of us. And I was like, what? Where have y'all been? It was just such an exciting moment. Um, But you asked about the transition. So for me, the transition started off a little rocky, honestly, um, just because a lot of emotions came up and not being near my family was definitely a little rougher than I thought um, because I realized that I had this whole like perception of, oh, I'm so independent. But then (laughs) I'm away from my family. I'm like, I could really use my mama. (laughs) Um, so it definitely took a bit of adjusting too. Um, but I will also say that because I had such a love and reverence for nature that I feel so at home here now because I just feel a lot more in tune with my surroundings, especially with the seasons. I love having seasons. Fall is one of my favorites. So I've just been like laying out in my hammock, watching the tree, the leaves fall off the tree. And it's just such a happy place to be. And I get so many new experiences that I didn't get growing up because the seasons were like wet or warm. (laughs) And that's about it. Um. So I will say uh, sometimes it can still be hard to be in a place uh, or lots of places and be the only brown girl (laughs) around. Um, But I also uh, will claim that title and wear it proudly. (laughs) And, um, And yeah, I really enjoy it here. And I have this theory that being surrounded by mountains in the valley makes you feel like you're getting a little hug. It just feels so cozy and homey in Salt Lake. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I like that visual image. Right? <laughs> um, so what's your role with Color the Wasatch? Yeah, so the cool part is we don't have um, specific assigned roles, so we're all kind of co-organizers. Uh, but a lot of what I do is help out with our social media. So I will make a lot of our posts. I repost things for our community members um, to to kind of look at and and have opportunities around, um, and and yeah, I feel like everything else we kind of uh, split amongst one another. Um, but some of the other things I do within Color the Wasatch is table at events and kind of just spread the word about us. Um, and of course, help organize our, our climb nights so that we can bring community together. And community is definitely one of my like main core values. So it just feels really uh, aligned to be to be helping out in that in that space. Mm-hmm. What are some accomplishments uh, these past few years? years? How many years has Color of the Wasatch? Yeah, it's been about two now. Two years, yeah. What yeah. are some major accomplishments that you're particularly like excited about? Yeah, definitely. So we recently had our first two clinics, which is super exciting. Our first one was with Caleb Robinson, who's a professional climber, and he got to teach a bouldering clinic to almost 60-something people in our group, which was I'm still, like, amazed by that turnout. (laughs) It was super incredible to see. So um, since then, um, we've had that clinic. Uh, Another one of my really exciting achievements for us is that a lot of really um, big places have decided to sponsor us so that we can give back to the community and do raffles um, around around things like our climb nights and meetups so for example black diamond has donated a lot of gear i mean yeah almost all brand new gear uh for us to give away as raffles to folks that otherwise wouldn't a lot of times wouldn't be able to afford it we have also partnered with gnarly nutrition we've gotten a lot of things from them and discount codes for all of our um all of our members and the front climbing club sponsors us uh which has been a really awesome ongoing sponsorship so we get a stipend to use at the front every month that we can use towards guest passes towards food at rumsey's or towards the store so we grab things like ropes quick draws for people um to to raffle off And then recently I started working with Lululemon and Lululemon has also been gifting us things to raffle away. Um, So those have been really awesome achievements of ours. Um, There's been a, there's been quite a few now that I'm thinking about them. So we also put together a clinic with two of the route setters within um, the front that also identifies people of color. So it was a really fun, intimate little clinic where they taught us how hard it is to be a route setter because that is tough um, and gave us like some insight on how they set, why they do the things they do. And we got a chance to also give them some feedback, which is really <laughs> great. And I know everyone wants to be in the spot to like, you know, 
be able to to give some feedback to the route setter sometimes. <laughs> so it was it was cool to ha- provide that space. And I will say our biggest two accomplishments, um, we have a an article out about us that came out through Melanin Basecamp um, that our friends David um, and his peer, forgetting the name right now, but our friends at Melanin Basecamp in Salt Lake uh, wrote an article about us. And then the last really big one is that we were recently um, signed onto by American Alpine Club as a fiduciary sponsor. So basically what that means is that we're able to use their 503 nonprofit status to accept donations. So now Claire the Wasatch can accept donations that will put towards guest passes, um, towards more gear for the community and just making our events even better. That's so fantastic. Um, what what um, are some like personal goals about that you have for Color the Wasatch? Hmm. Yeah, so I am a big dreamer. <laughs> and <laughs> I I have this uh, goal of wanting to host retreats in the in the future um mainly for yoga as a yoga teacher but i would love to have a retreat for color of the wasatch specifically that incorporates not only yoga but like guided hiking climbing clinics um that is something i would love to see in the near future oh neat Mm-hmm. Um, so you're also involved with Salt Lake Area Queer Climbers, Slack. Tell me a little bit about Slack. Yeah, so very much like Color of the Wasatch, Slack is an affinity space for queer climbers. And Slack has been around just a little bit longer than us. And my role within Slack, I am in the advisory committee. So basically, I help them... I help them um, with ensuring that they're staying true to their values, mission, and vision, um, which they have very, like, amazingly put together. Um, It just feels like their space has become so cohesive and so... um, supported and loved by the community and they've had oh my gosh slack has had so much awesome recognition and um and really big accomplishments throughout their time as well so it's so cool to see both of these spaces grow and also hold space for one another and come together it's it's been really beautiful Mm -hmm. yeah i agree what are a few accomplishments from like Slack perspective that you're yeah. really excited for. Yeah, so one of the co-organizers for Slack, Rue, just recently made a website for Slack, which looks amazing. Um, and so it's so cool to see that come together. They've, um, or they, we've, since I am also a part of it, we've, uh, we've reached our fundraising goal through uh, selling merch with Bonfire. And we were able to get several more pieces for marketing and have um, some money left over to better our events as well. And they, we've also um, partnered with American Alpine Club to use their um, 
their nonprofit status Mm -hmm. as well uh, for um, to accept donations. Um, And uh, Slack has also been working with Black Diamond. They did a whole awesome photo shoot in in the desert and had a this amazing article come out for them we had so many of our members be featured in black diamonds campaign and are still being featured on their website so that i feel is so cool to just have so much more um representation and not only that but they got to keep a lot of the things that they modeled and um So it's just really, really amazing to see all of the cool accessibility aspects that we brought together with Slack and Claire the Wasatch. Um, Slack has also had a lot more outdoor events and recently put together a speed dating event, which is really fun and cool. So Slack has been doing some amazing things. Um, And yeah, those are the main ones I can think of right now. Awesome. So you're also uh, involved with Salt Lake Climbers Alliance. Can you tell me a little bit about um, what you've been doing with SLCA? Yeah. So I was with SLCA for almost three years. I started off in the events committee and then after uh, started working on their JEDI committee, which the acronym stands for Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And shortly after starting our work there, I was nominated as chair for the committee. And um, about a year and a half to two years of being chair within the committee, I decided to um also take on a chair position within the board. So I was recently a board member um, with Salt Lake Climbers Alliance. And I say was because, as you can tell, I'm involved in a lot of things. So I unfortunately had to, you know, really do some prioritizing and regroup and notice that I am not a superwoman. (laughs) And I cannot do so many things at once. So unfortunately, SLCA was the one that I um, kind of cut ties with for the time being, Um, though I still very much uh, admire their work and am friends with a lot of the people within the board and within the Jedi committee as well. Mm -hmm. Um, That is just kind of what what it came down to after realizing (laughs) all of the things I was taking on um, and really trying to better manage my time and energy. Um, So what I did with SLCA, uh, like I said, first I was in the events committee, so helping out with events and volunteering there. And then within the JEDI committee, while I was chairing it, um, I am very proud to say we accomplished a lot. <laughs> and I have a list of those accomplishments <laughs> that I won't read out to all to you, but a lot of, um, but some of the big points that I'll make is that we made space for free tickets to the Climbing Fest and Party two years in a row for those in financial need, and many of those included gear as well. So we made space for more people to attend. We've offered accessible ticket options, either by donation or pay what you can for a real rock event. 
We assisted with new framework for committee applications. We um, created a blog post on how UDOT proposals perpetuate marginalization in the Wasatch, and we have David Carter to thank for that. We came up with a mission statement, goals and objectives um, based on each part of our acronym. And we hired an auditor to do an audit of all of our um, of all of our policies, our documents, and also give us training on Jedi principles. And uh, um, from that audit, we have about like twenty seven to twenty eight action items to take with us to further improve our work in those areas. We also received two trauma-informed trainings on DI work by that auditor. Um, our board is now more diverse, which is really awesome to better represent our community as a whole. Um, we've also created a proposal for fee structure for our different events. Um, we've led the first ever affinity group clinic at the Salt Lake Climbers Fest. We've led the first ever adaptive climbing clinic. And uh, yeah, those are some of the of the main points <laughs> of of all that we've done. But it has been such a pleasure to be able to chair our committee um, to get all of those things accomplished. So I definitely left, uh, you know, a little sad, but also so grateful that I was able to take part in all that impact and change. So I'm, I'm hopeful that they'll just continue moving forward from there. And I feel like we've set up a good foundation for it. Oh, yeah. No, I've, under your leadership, so much happened. <laughs> um, what is like, from your perspective? Um, like, what's the thing that like, you're most excited for besides laying this foundation? <laughs> Maybe what did you find? What was something that you found like your your biggest win that you're just like, yes, <laughs> you really celebrated. Yeah. So this is part of a huge ongoing conversation yeah. that I'm sure will probably take place for years to come. But being a climbing stewardship and advocacy group, I always came back to the original stewards of the land, which our state is literally named after, Utah, which is the Ute and Paiute nations. And um I would I really wanted to see us involve those communities more in our work because we are quite literally working with the land and I feel mm -hmm. like the their voices really need to have a place at the table so I feel like if anything my biggest uh, contribution was to get that conversation started um, our policy team did a great job uh, they have someone that is um specifically do, doing indigenous studies here at the U that was able to do a presentation for us on how um, we can work towards building relationship with these communities. But also there's been so much harm done that, you know, we can't just go up to them and be like, hey, we'd love for you to check out what we're doing. You know, it doesn't work like that. There really has to be trust built. So, um, 
I think that would be one of them. And then the other one, I think the audit process was really amazing and like a huge undertaking. So I feel like that really is setting up the work for their DI movement going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So what draws you to being um, so involved in the community in these leadership positions and doing this community organizing? Yeah. Um, so I, I come back to the word that is used most often in these, but it really is all about community to me. Um, I have found such a sense of safety in what can be a very dangerous sport because of the people I'm surrounded by and and the folks that I'm with. Um And I know how much of an impact it can make to not only be in community with um, with people that are like minded or share similar experiences, but also to do so while communing with nature um, is is something that's really special to me. And um, not to. beat a dead horse with with this with this but uh i also just think that the representation is huge because even though we have so many more um climbers of color and um queer climbers out there there is not a huge amount of um of brown and queer and immigrant and um, and people with you know backgrounds like me out in climbing and I feel like just having that representation if one person sees me and thinks oh maybe I can do this too if she can then I feel like my mission is accomplished <laughs> oh that's beautiful um what lessons would you share with other people who want to create similar groups? Yeah, I think that my biggest one would be to to take care of yourself. Because community organizing, community work, we tend to want to give and give and give. And... Uh, kind of leave ourselves in um as an afterthought you know Mm -hmm. and community care can't be there without self-care so i would say to have practices to really um bring yourself back into your body bring yourself uh, to regulate your nervous system, um, and to learn how to manage your time and energy because, because yeah, this work can be, can be a lot, but it can also be so rewarding. So Mm -hmm. knowing that balance is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you balance that personally? (laughs) At the start, very rocky. Or <laughs> <laughs> I'm still attempting to balance. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, it's an ongoing uh, effort for sure. Mm-hmm. I, uh, as I mentioned, I took a lot on. And I was trying to be everything for everyone. And <laughs> that's not how 
how it works. So I had to really sit with myself and um, think of my values uh, and what aligns most with them. And I think that this is an amazing exercise for everyone to come back to uh, because it's good to know what uh, we want to achieve, what we're working towards, what fills us up, right? And then take a look and say, okay, are these parts of my life, um, do, they, do they fit within this area or not? And if they don't, what can I do to either make them fit or not put in as time as much time or energy into them? And let's say you have a bunch of values and you just enjoy so many things, then you have to see what fits in best, where your time and energy is most valued as well. Um, and whenever you're not feeling like you're being valued or that you are not um, where your efforts aren't being, um, appreciated, <laughs> then that's when you can see about moving on, right? So yeah, it's definitely an ongoing thing for me. Um, because even though now I just have Color the Wasatch and Salt Lake Queer Climbers, uh, I still am also trying to run a business and working part-time. And I have a partner, a social life, and a dog and a cat. <laughs> so it, it can still feel like a lot sometimes. And when I know that they're all... Um, shaping and moving me towards what I want and what I value, it feels so much better and so much more aligned to be putting my time and energy into those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you tell me about your, your business? Yeah. So I recently started my own business called Love and Coven. And so the my some of my main core values are love and community as i mentioned i grew up in a family full of love i grew up with a big vibrant community of people dancers musicians and i feel like that is always the main thing i come back to and why i do so much of my community organizing and so my business is called Love and Coven, uh, combining love and community. And Coven was used uh, or is still used for a group of witches. <laughs> and I'm not calling my community witches per se, but I think it's kind of a, a play on words because to me, yoga is a form of magic, a form of mindful magic. And so having that element of magicality, I guess, <laughs> is because yoga is a spiritual practice um, and it doesn't have to be a specific religion that you practice it with. Um, it is very much non-denominational. So it's a universal practice that can be used for anyone. And there is also a spiritual element to it. So that's where the Love and Govan name came from. Also an ode to my close friends that I went through a lot with that used to call ourselves a coven. <laughs> and my mission with Love and Coven is to help support my community with resources and tools to get back into their body and to regulate their nervous system, which is something that I struggled with a lot growing up. Mm -hmm. So what do you 
you do yoga. Yes. With them. Yeah. yeah. So, so part of that is storytelling. I have a podcast called Love and Coven where I share tips and tools surrounding um, subjects like spirituality, leadership, community, and social impact. And then I teach yoga as well. So I have a a workshop that I'm starting to run. The first one is tomorrow, which is really exciting, uh, called Mindful Magic, uh, which is, again, what yoga mean is to me. And um, yeah, I do yoga practices, um, really coming more from the angle of um nervous system regulation and coming back into the body through breath work meditation and gentle movement so I'm not focusing as much on the postures or alignment I like to call it more of intuitive yoga for mindful living so I call it I give you a lot of options I give you a lot of liberty so you feel like you have agency over your own body because I feel like in a lot of yoga classes you are just being talked to and not um it's not a back and forth so i'm really trying to build more of a back and forth with folks having more of discussions and helping them listen to their bodies because we are just so stuck in the mind and going a thousand miles per hour that it can be hard to to connect back to ourselves um and our bodies are constantly giving us messages we just never really stop enough to take a moment and listen mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's been my mission with with love and coven and what i'm trying to build there oh that's really neat <laughs> thanks <laughs> um so what's the biggest challenge that you see facing the climbing community and that can either be here locally or kind of bigger picture or both <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's, that's a interesting one. Yeah. So I've, I feel like there is two that I can think of right now. Um, one is that I think many climbers have been so used to climbing being a certain way mm -hmm. that as it's changing, um, it might be hard for them to let go of that. I think that um, there needs to be a little bit more um, open-mindedness around change within the climbing community. And this isn't, you know, I'm not targeting a specific like demographic or anything with that statement, just kind of like general overall climbing community, um, just being open to, to the landscape changing, um, not the landscape, like the mountains, but um, the people climbing, gym climbers. I know as the city continues to grow, it's going to continue to evolve. So I think that would be one. And the second would be that um, that relationship with um, the original stewards of the land, I would say, will be an issue that we'll eventually face because um, unfortunately, there are already climbers that are being disrespectful of areas that are very sacred to indigenous communities. And if 
um, climbers are going out and not having any regard for those spaces, I think that that can really start giving climbing a a bad rep if it's not already within indigenous communities. And I think that's something that we have to be aware of because we have to learn how to coexist, you know, within, um, within our outdoor spaces. And I uh, want them to be for all of us. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, learning that balance of, of coexisting within um, so many spaces that that can be very sacred to some and you know we're or not we but some climbers can be out there with little regard to that um that idea mm -hmm. what impact um do you hope to have on the climbing community yeah um like overall or just in Salt Lake? Overall. Overall. Oh, Dream boy. big. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've um I've mentioned this already and I think that um just if I get one person that maybe, you know, can see themselves within climbing because of me, I think that's an achievement. Um mm -hmm. but besides that, I would love to see hmm. I love to see us and us being um, affinity spaces and groups like Color of the Wasatch and Slack um, continue to collaborate with other groups. Like I know one has come out now called All Bodies Climb for plus size climbers. Mm -hmm. So I love to continue that collaboration going and I hope that it makes more space for other gyms to create those um, spaces as well. And Oh, the overall impact of that is that we just see more people climbing and enjoying the outdoors and hopefully also receiving education around enjoying the outdoors mindfully <laughs> and doing it in a way that isn't um, that isn't disrespectful to um, either nature or the communities um that we coexist in these spaces with um, that's really what i'd like to see oh that's awesome is there anything else that you'd like to share that we haven't covered already no i think that's it all right well thank you so much for coming and yeah. talking you're so welcome Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please keep in mind that the views and opinions expressed in this interview are solely those of the oral history participants and do not reflect any views, opinions, or official policy at the University of Utah or the J. Willard Marriott Library. For more information about this podcast, check out the ascentarchive.lib.utah.edu. That's A-S-C-E-N-T-A-R-C-H-I-V-E dot L-I-B utah.edu. The Ascent Archive podcast team includes librarians Tally Kasucci and myself, Rachel Whitman. Special thanks to Leah Donaldson for graphic and website design, Brian Elias Hull for music, and thanks to the University of Utah Special Collections and the American West Center. And lastly, the rock climbing community for participating in these interviews and listening. Mm -hmm.